Now, something most of you don't know about me is that in the summer of 1991, I spent 10 weeks in a state mental hospital. Now, before anybody sneaks their phone out to call the bishop, you need to know that those 10 weeks were part of my seminary education. I was a chaplain, and I had keys and a name badge. Keys and a name badge are very important in those sorts of places. But I discovered a lot that summer, primarily that I'm not called to be an institutional chaplain, so I admire and thank God for those people who are. But I also encountered several patients every week who had the same perception about themselves that somehow they had committed the unforgivable sin. Now, I asked them what they thought that was, and none of them could tell me. But they were sure that, that, that somehow, whatever it was, they'd done it. And so many of the people that I listened to that summer had that impression that I began to wonder, are these people mentally ill because they think they've done something unforgivable, or do they think they've done something unforgivable because they're mentally ill? I'm still not sure. It's probably some of both. But whether or not they ever actually did anything that bad, the deeper question is this, is there really an unforgivable sin? And if so, what is it? Now, Jesus answers that today when He says, Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They're guilty of an eternal sin. Okay, so there is an unforgivable sin, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Well, that clears things up, doesn't it? But what in the world is blaspheming the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit part is easy. You know, the Lord, the giver of life, proceeds from the Father and the Son. We say that every Sunday. But what about blasphemy? That's not a word we use very often. Well, blasphemy, according to Webster's Dictionary, is insulting God, showing contempt for Him, or not giving Him due reverence. Okay, so the unforgivable sin is bad-mouthing the Holy Spirit. But in the gospel today, who did that? Nobody says anything against the Holy Spirit. In fact, nobody even mentions the Holy Spirit till Jesus brings it up, and He's not demonstrating blasphemy, so we know what to avoid. Jesus' words are kind of a, a non sequitur. They don't really fit with the flow of the conversation. So let's look earlier in the conversation to see what prompted Jesus to raise the issue of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It was the accusation of the religious leaders. Jesus is possessed by Beelzebub, which is another name for the devil. By the prince of demons, he's casting out demons. And Jesus just laughs at him and answers perfectly logically, if Satan is driving himself out of people, then he can't win. And he's thinking, not even Satan is that stupid. But then Jesus adds that whole blaspheming the Holy Spirit bit. Apparently, the religious leaders were doing it and didn't even know that they were. So what were they doing? Well, when they attributed Jesus' miracles to Satan, they were calling good evil and evil good. That is the essence of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, calling good evil or evil good. It's choosing to say or do something wrong and then saying, oh, that's okay. Or it's calling something that's right, wrong. It's doing what Adam and Eve did in the garden today. Now, yeah, they ate the fruit, which was wrong enough, but then they made it worse by what they do next. 
which sadly is often what we do when we get in trouble. You know the story. God knows what they did. God goes for a walk in the garden. He shuffles His feet so they can hear Him coming to give them the chance to come out and come clean. But no. Instead of running to God to apologize, they hide from God and try to cover up their mistake with fig leaves. Now, you'd think in a garden that lush, they'd choose elephant ears or palm fronds or something a little bigger than fig leaves, but that's what they did. And But before we judge them too harshly, let's be honest. We try to do the same thing, don't we? When we feel guilty, we stay away from church because, you know, the only church is the only place that God really is, and if we're at home, He can't see us. Or, or... We try to cover up the other stuff that we do by staying busy enough doing good stuff that God won't notice the bad. No, doesn't work. Didn't work for Adam and Eve, doesn't work for us. They didn't fool God, we don't fool Him either. God asked Adam, did you eat the fruit I told you not to? And Adam replies, the woman, you know, the one you made and put here with me, she gave me some and I ate it. In other words, Adam's saying, God, you did this. You did this. This is your fault. If you hadn't made that woman, everything would still be fine. Now, how often do we try to blame God for our own unhealthy choices? You know, if you didn't want me to eat or drink that, you shouldn't have put it right next to me. If you didn't want me to have that affair, you shouldn't have put that person in my life. If you didn't want me to watch porn, you shouldn't have invented the computer or the internet. You know, God, if, if you didn't make so many rules, I wouldn't break so many. In other words, God, if you hadn't done what you did, I wouldn't have done what I did. And if we can't push the blame off on God, and we can't, like Adam, we point the finger someplace else, like Adam did. Wasn't me. It was her fault. It was his fault. It was their fault. It was my parents' fault. It's society's fault. But it's not. Now, yeah... Sometimes someone else's bad behavior may influence me, may hurt me, may even cripple me in some area of my life, but my poor choices are ultimately my choices and my fault, not anybody else's. When Adam won't come clean, God turns to Eve and she does the same thing. It was the snake. The devil made me do it. Well, no, he didn't. The devil can influence us, he can lie to us, he can trick us, he can offer us opportunities to sin, but he can't make us do anything. Now, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God what he would have done if at any point in this story, the first couple had come clean, admitted their mistake, confessed their sin, and asked forgiveness. But they didn't do that. And because they didn't, God curses the snake, curses the earth, kicks the humans out of the garden, and we, their descendants, have been paying the price ever since, clawing a living out of the earth, dealing every day with selfishness and misunderstanding in our relationships until we get hurt, sick, or old, and die, because, yeah, that's how it's been since Genesis chapter 3, life is hard, and then we die. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is calling good evil or evil good. It's doing what Adam and Eve did, which is instead of coming clean with God about our mistakes, we insult Him by hiding from Him. 
We show contempt for Him by covering up our mistakes. We deny Him reverence by blaming Him or someone else or the devil for our bad behavior. Now, does that mean if we've ever done any of those things that we've, we've blasphemed the Holy Spirit and committed the unforgivable sin? No, because the only unforgivable sin is the one that we refuse to ask God to forgive. Blasphemy, the Holy Spirit, is not calling evil good or good evil once or twice or a million times. It's calling evil good or good evil for the rest of our lives and never changing our mind. It's not hiding from God or covering up our mistakes or blaming anyone else for our unhealthy habits for a little while or even for a long while. It's hiding from God, covering up our mistakes, blaming others for our unhealthy habits for the rest of our life and never changing our perspective, our attitude, or worst of all, our behavior. The only unforgivable sin is the one we refuse to ask God to forgive and choose to continue doing long after we realize it's wrong. Now, that would not be the ones we neglect to confess, the ones we forget to confess, or the ones we don't even know we need to confess, because the confession we say every Sunday takes care of those. You know what we've done and left undone? No, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is willfully choosing over the course of our life evil over good by refusing to admit or come clean about our mistakes, our selfishness, and the ways that we hurt other people and ourselves. God is always willing to forgive. Are we willing to ask? Are we willing to confess? Are we willing to repent and change our direction? Because if we are, God is ready to forgive and welcome us into His family or, or back into His family if we've strayed away. Now, if that's you, if you're feeling guilt that won't go away, if you know that you've been choosing evil over good, if you've been hiding from God, trying to cover up what you've done or left undone, or been blaming somebody else for your bad behavior or unhealthy habits, please, please, please do not continue blaspheming the Holy Spirit that way. Instead, come clean. Make Psalm 130 that we prayed this morning, make that your prayer. Now, it's in your bulletin and the sermon notes page, and I'm going to pray that. Verse 1, out of the depths have I called to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears consider well the voice of my supplication. God, I'm hurting here. I'm feeling guilty, dirty, unworthy, ashamed, and afraid. I'm scared that I might have done it this time and crossed that line into unforgivable. Verse 2, if you, Lord, were to note what is done amiss, O Lord, who could stand? Thank you, Lord, for being kind and merciful, because if you weren't, if you kept a record of everything I've done wrong, <laughs> I'm sunk. God, by myself, I can't change myself, and I need you. Verse 3, for there is forgiveness with you, therefore you shall be feared. God, thank you that you are slow to anger and quick to forgive. Here's the list, and in the privacy of your own home, your car, the prayer chapel, or any place else that you can get off by yourself, Tell God what you've done or left undone. Every Sunday, in that silence between when we invite you to the confession and we actually start saying it, tell God what you've done or left undone. Because as we confess our sins to God, He is faithful and just 
to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then be quiet and listen. Verse 4, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits for Him. In His word is my hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. As you wait and listen expectantly, God's presence and God's peace will be there. Breathe it in. Accept it. Bask in it. Enjoy it. And verse 6, O Israel, wait for the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy. With Him there is plenteous redemption. And He shall redeem Israel from all their sins. How many of their sins? All of them. All of them. And since God forgives you and all your sins, please don't neglect to forgive yourself. Because the only unforgivable sin is the one you refuse to ask God to forgive or the one for which you refuse to forgive yourself. Now, in just a few minutes, at the end of the prayers of the people, Mother Tracy is going to invite us to confess our sins. In the silence that follows, admit to God whatever comes to mind, and then confess with the rest of us the rest. When Mother Tracy stands and gives the absolution, accept that God has forgiven all your sins. And then don't forget to forgive yourself. 